Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Basic Binges, part of Nom Talk Network. Um, on this show, we review popular shows that are out now while eating and drinking our favorite binge-worthy snacks and drinks. It seems like I've sort of betrayed um, Nom Watch. <laughs> like, it seems like I've just betrayed Nom Watch and I've totally just killed it. And now I'm just a basic binger. Uh, and so it's just like well here we are this is where it is we're just you know doing all that so um anyway <laughs> i will i will get back to review soon but it's good to see you all on basic binges um this was uh if you don't know um i'm your host jordan orozco and right now i'm enjoying a few things right now because i'm starving um so i have a, a a wedge salad with some blue cheese dressing and my mom's green cheese chili uh, green chili cheese enchiladas um, and so I'm like really excited to eat because I'm starving and then just some good old water in my little flask. Um, but I'd like to introduce my lovely and wonderful guests who I've had on multiple of my shows. I've been guests on um, Alex's, uh, Alejandro's show, um, but it's so good to see you, Alejandro and Bill. Um, let's start with you, Bill. What are you chomping on? What are you doing? What's going we on? got we've got two things. I do have my my regular, you know, Coke Zero, which all yeah. the However, I'd be disappointed. It, it rings of power. We had to deal with a Tawny Port, probably about a. 10 year old 12 year old something like that so we'll be sipping on that as well and of course for the nibblies uh just some of uh whole foods brown sugar chocolate chip cookies yum okay so i thought briefly you said chocolate chip pickles and i was like that's Ew. interesting no, yeah no, no that was good okay and uh, alejandro i know you're thinking you're trying to focus your camera no! I'm here. I'm sorry. Hello. I'm uh, semi blurry. I'll get get all you know cleared up very soon or later. But uh, I'm like you. I got a whole bunch of uh, combination here. I got some dumplings and some pasta and some buttered toast over here. And then uh, I got some chocolate chip cookies over here, too, as well. And some uh, oh, a nice. lot of bubbly water and some additional canteen of water here that Steph got me all stocked up on. So got to stay hydrated because I don't want to dehydrate, you know, one of those things. So, hey, I'm back to being clear. Look at that. I mentioned <laughs> water and it was like the yeah, universe is back is. to where it needs to be. So yeah. they're like, I'm going to purify your, your camera. Um, he <laughs> said, just ate two grilled cheese, two grilled cheese sandwiches. And right now I'm drinking a bottle of water. Good for you. Stay hydrated. Everybody needs to stay hydrated. Um, I wish I had a glass of port, though. That actually sounds really good. I got some here um, for you. Oh man, let me just go on a get on a flight, man. Let me just you know, yep. go up there. <laughs> See, and for the record, Bill and I missed you so much. So since you weren't in our neck of the woods, we wanted to come over to your neck of the woods over here at Basic Binges. So I'm telling you, man, we missed you. You know, that was. you know, I know. It's, it's like gee, you're you're just calling me back. Um, <laughs> well, if any of you don't know um, from the PR and from anything that's going on um, today, we are going to talk about the Rings of Power um, episode four which came out on friday um let me tell y'all i am loving this show i am having such a good time watching it um it's really hard you know i try to watch it you know on the weekends when i can sit and have like a nice meal and i can just sit and watch it but it's really hard to just like like make a meal and then like try to eat it and then like throw it like i kind of just want to sit and like you know watch it and so i think i'm for the next one i'm just going to do it when I either can sit in my room and just watch it straight through because I get interrupted a lot if I watch it in the living room. But I am loving um, where this series is going. And I think, um, Bill, you and me were kind of chatting uh, last time with our review in The Sandman on um, last, uh, what was it, last Wednesday, about just sort of like you sort of like, you know, saying like, you know, it's the lore, it's all about, you know, what's going on and how they just start, sort of lumping these together. And I know you did tell me a couple of things that have happened. And um, in this episode, we kind of see 
Numenor and a foreshadowing of what might happen to mm -hmm. the city, right? And so, or the island. And so it's just really, really exciting. But um, how are we all enjoying this so far? What did we all think? Did we all think that it was a good lead up to episode four? Um, let's start with you, Bill. Um, how are you liking the show so far? So uh, I like it a lot. I come, I come to Rings of Power out of being uh, a longtime Tolkien fan. Um, granted, I started off reading it when I was young and tried reading like the Cimmerillion and the Lost Tales and some of the other, you know, periphery books. And I bounced mm -hmm. off them for years. I get it like 10 pages into it going, no, at 12, this is, I know. Um, and it took a while to finally get into the stuff. And now it's kind of like seeing where Amazon is taking like the various narratives is a lot of fun. And, you know, you get all the various name drops and places and you kind of see how they're choosing to pick things back uh, together. Um, and so it's I'm enjoying it in a couple of different levels. Um, you know, I've been seeing where people kind of have struggles with it, particularly around if people aren't familiar with the names and the places and what's going on. But at the same time, it's kind of like the difference between like we're talking about gaming, like, like computer gaming. You know, you have casual gamers and hardcore gamers, right? This is not a casual viewer type of show. You know, you need to either sit down, take notes, be focused, um, or it's just going to bounce off. And you're like, who is the pointy-eared one? And which one, who, what's going on where? Because we have about five different storylines all running with various levels of depth, with uh, Gladwell being the main through line of the whole thing so far. Um, and so, yeah, I'm digging it. I can see where other folks would have more of a challenge of it. But at the same time, not all shows need to have everything spoon-fed. And so if you're okay with just going along for the ride and figuring things out as they go, it's cool. You're not going to get a full hour backstory like, you know, we started out with uh, uh, Fellowship of the Ring back when yeah. Jackson movies came out. You got all that that first half hour, 45 minutes just of setup and getting things through. Now we're kind of having to figure things out as we go. Yeah, and I kind of like your analogy because as um, you're like, this isn't for this is not for the faint of heart right like where if you're thoroughly invested in lord of the rings or if you're, let's say for example like i'm a huge gamer right like if i'm playing like if i start in on mass effect 3 i'm not gonna know what the fuck's going on in the game right i didn't play mass effect 1 and 2 and technically yeah you can play the game and be like okay cool this is a really good sci-fi game but like if you haven't played 1 and 2 you're like i have no idea who shepherd is i've no you're right like what's going on and so I kind of like that where it was like there are some things where I don't even know what's going on because I haven't read The Lost Tales and I barely touched on the Sound Larian and had to watch like a 10 minute video of it and like just kind of like get through what I needed to get through. Um, yeah. But I'm understanding enough to where I'm like, oh, like this is a deep dive into this the, the the before the before times right of what we sort of were exposed to like pop culturally when i was like in high school and middle school so um alejandra how are you liking it so far um how are you liking the lead up to episode four i'm what you call a introverted extrovert and extrovert and i noticed as a kid <laughs> and for me it was more along the lines of you know uh being introduced to this world with my for my mom uh, the Hobbit. The Hobbit was the introduction to this world for me as a kid, and there's been so many moments in that of men, elves, dwarves, you know, of orcs, of goblins, of eagles, of, of you know, so many things there, and so much tears and excitement that it built up to a slow introduction and a reintroduction to uh, the Sumerian, uh, to the Lord of the Rings, uh, of the you know the trifecta and so forth of it, and all my readings were all done in my early teenage years, so. 
to me, it was very, very, uh, my world was very, very token. It was all over, you know, very detailed. So the buildup to four was exciting to me in a sense, because it had hints of things that obviously were different tales, but of uh, shout outs to, you know, Bilbo Baggins of, you know, you know, things that I don't want spirit, you know, spoil the, you know, your introduction to it, but the certain uh, different style ore that they found later on that I'll let you talk about. Uh, it, it's just so great, you know, in a sense that it's finally there. I know um, I'm a little late in regards to joining you guys in the discussions because, you know, in the previous, you know, discussions you guys had, and I understand that some people talked about of a, a slow buildup. I'm a sucker, though, for token and tokens always been a slow buildup. I mean, this is a guy that reminds me a little bit of Clancy at times. Uh, sometimes he will give a little more detail to the grass than a lot of people would expect. But at the same time, I'm an individual that wants to know what their grass is doing and how it's doing from the angle in the sunlight. It's, it's I know it's ridiculous sometimes, but to me, um, it felt different and it felt like there was tales that I have never heard before. And yes, there were some nods. And yes, there are a lot of references to the token universe that you will understand full-heartedly being a fan of The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and so forth. So honestly, as you can tell right now, I'm hyped. I thought it was great. <laughs> oh, there we go. I was muted. Thank you. <laughs> my my computer let me know. <laughs> um, so let's just dive into it. So we open um, the episode with Arendir, um meeting Adar, right? And we have no clue at the end of episode three who this individual is. Some of us did. I kind of had a feeling... Um, and basically, um, we realize that there is an elf leading these orcs um, on this sort of uh, quest to clear out these lands, right? That they're um, that they are they're going through. Um, and Adar is this mysterious. And Bill, you might be able to shed some light on who Adar eventually is or becomes. Um, but he is an elf that turned away from all elvish things. Um, and basically tries to convince Arendir that it's a lie. Everything that he believes in and the religion that he follows and everything that he has sort of held uh, held close to him is a lie. Um, and uh, we sort of just get a hint of uh, who, who this individual is. Um, and eventually Arendir is let go, but only if he agrees to give um, give a message to the people that are being housed in the watchtower that were in the town that sort of got raided by these orcs. Um, so what, who, uh, and I guess we'll start, we'll start with Alejandro first and then we'll go to Bill. How did we feel about Adar? Um, how did we feel about um, sort of his message? Did we get an idea of what might be coming um, uh, from this character? And we'll start with Alejandro. Um, just in, in general, I, I, I the character was very, very to me, in regards to being dark uh, menacing and all out what I expected to who this individual is supposed to be. Um, at this point, you know, we understand he's elf and I I'm hyped up because, I mean, those that know the lore of orcs in Tokens universe will totally like understand that how hyped and exciting this is because it's a reveal that technically is only mentioned in previous books of history and lore. It's never actually discussed from the lips of elves nor is it orcs of the history of the two races and how they actually are um so him actually mentioning that you know what you believe is a lie is just like visually seeing it on screen because yeah um coming uh from expectations and seeing lord of, lord of the rings on film uh each film for three hours it was fantastic seeing what was going on but lord of the rings itself is only one tale and this one tale is the tale of this individuals you know of this society and what they fight and it doesn't really cover the history like sumerian or the lost tales do so 
actually seeing it on screen and revealed and you're like, oh my God, here we go. It's about to be spilled. You know, p- politics are about to come in possibly, you know, the hints of religion and, and just speech. Oh man, need to say very hyped was in introduction. And I thought it was a uh, well-reserved on my end. So one of the things I do want to connect and um, very briefly is that we do know that basically in the Lord of the Rings, we find out that Urukai are basically transformed elves, right? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And so seeing this sort of like begs the question of, is this going to be the first Urukai? Is he going to be the one that's going to turn these elves, right? Like against sort of their own and start, you know, an army of Urukai for um, for Sauron, right? Bill, let's go to you. What did you think of this? Um, did you think it was any foreshadowing or foreboding? Oh, you're muted. One's for me. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, so uh, Edar is so he Edar is not a canonical character. So mm-hmm. that's it, one. That's fun again for if you've read all the books and read all the stories and all that sort of stuff. It's nice to have things that are slightly different. Otherwise, you're always going to know what's what's coming on next. And so that's where I think it's going to be a an interesting kind of thing to see where they pivot with him, because you know who is this and what is this character really is it really an elf is it something else is it mm. uh, uh another creature or a power or an entity you know mm. we've got gandalf running around at this point so we can have any other sorts of characters and i think that's kind of like part of of the hook right now with edar is kind of like it's something clearly powerful it's something you know it's a critter that the orcs are deferring to and it's talking about how you know it kind of has a perspective of the story that's very different than anybody else's and so you know that kind of alludes to you know who or why what it might be so i mean i'm i'm enjoying what they're doing with it also too if i may add i'm sorry to interrupt but also this is the point where we actually see orcs show emotion for the first time we've always Mm. seen like orcs being you know you know like ravenous creatures and and knowing that their history has been you know related to elves you, you think in the sense that like okay cool you're not only not only a dark elf, you're like a mutated form of what you once were. So now we've only seen hate because like orcs, goblins and so forth. And now at this moment, you know, this individual, as we have Adar comes up and like everybody sombers out like respect. Mm-hmm. You can see like actual like like I would say remorse in these guys eyes. And these are people that have just slaughtered elves just for the hell of it and laughed at it. And all of a sudden it was like, bam, back to, you know. This is an entity, as Bill said, a supernatural power, the supernatural being stepped forth. And I that's to me, that kind of was uh, very, very effective. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that, like, you're right, orcs in general and like especially they don't have emotion. Right. Like there's no none of that. So is this character actually bringing some elvish sort of qualities to the orcs? Right. Like, are, are we are we going to see some type of um like you said, spirituality coming to play a little bit in this in this character. Um, I want to go all the way across the world and across the sea to uh, basically what the next scene is, which is in um, oh my god, uh, uh, the island city, and I can't remember the name. Oh my lord! I'm gonna have to look up myself. Which one are you talking, Numenor? Yes, thank you. Yes, Numenor. Numenor. Jeez, why couldn't I? I literally have it. Oh, I have it written down. Wow. Okay. Um, anyway, no worries, no worries. Uh, we go, <laughs> we <laughs> fast forward to the Queen Regent Muriel um, and uh, Galadriel and ha- uh, Hallbrand. 
basically, long story short, uh, Galadriel requests an audience with the Queen Regent um, after going to the Hall of Lore and basically saying that, um, trying to convince the Queen that Hallbrand is the descendant of royalty, which is in the Southlands. So he, she basically tries to convince the Queen Regent that she needs to take up arms and go and fight basically with him to take back um, these lands. Otherwise, Sauron will and will rise and will take over those lands. Basically, the Queen Regent says, no, bitch, like we're not doing it. And then Galadriel, I was so excited this scene came up. She was like, oh, OK, you want to play? And then she's basically like, well, I wanted to actually talk to the real king. She's like, I want to talk to the real power here. And basically, the Queen Regent's like, oh, so you want to play this game? And basically jails Galadriel um, for basically, ins not insubordination, but basically trying to overstep her bounds and overstep her powers as Queen Regent and trying to talk to the king. Um, and so later on, um, she basically is ordered to uh, to sail back to the Elflands uh, with um, with an armed guard. But we also want to keep in mind that Halbrand basically teaches her kind of a lesson that basically says, you've been going, you've been trying to get what you want with a fist and you need to temper yourself and you need to try to talk your way into sort of, you know, uh, getting the things that you need, right? Um, so she basically ends up freeing herself and then runs amok about the town and uh, basically climbs the tower in to see the actual king and finds out that he's basically bedridden and he cannot make this. He, he can't even speak. He barely can speak and talk to his own daughter. And basically the queen regent tells the story of the historical, um, of what happened um, to the elves and what happened to her father um, and why she is so hesitant. Um, and basically we get, this was the exciting part because I did see this in the in the previews where um, she she has access to a gal galanthir. What is it called? The seeing stone? Palantir. Thank you. It, it was a P, it wasn't a G. To a palantir, which we also have seen in um, the Lord of the Rings and the Two Towers when um, Saruman uses it to sort of see stuff right and we are also taught that they're evil right that they are not supposed to be touched because sauron can use it to sort of see um who is seeing through these stones but in this one um the queen regent has used it and sees that there was a, a prophecy um and basically a vision of numenor getting destroyed by waves and bill i know you you threw that onto me um the last time we were talking about it and i was like i looked it up and it's basically like Numenor is basically like the uh, Middle Earth uh, Atlantis, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's basically yeah. like what happens to to that island. So let's talk about this because this was a lot. Um, I didn't even mention Isildur or what happens to him in this sort of area as well. But let's talk about the Queen Regent and Galadriel. Um, did we see any sort of foreboding and before we get to sort of what happens at the end of the episode, did we see this coming? Was this something that added to Galadriel's character, Queen Regent? Do we feel a little bit more empathetic towards Queen Regent. Um, Bill, let's start with you. How did we feel about this part of the episode? Um, a lot. <laughs> kind of, oh, well, it's a lot. This also kind of like depends on what you want to talk about based on um, book reader or show watcher. And so let's stick with show watcher. Um, go, and, and let's just go with the basics. If you're a watcher that you only watch, say, the Peter Jackson films, right? Sure. Um, if that's the case, you probably might be going in. Remember what Wormtongue did in um 
in two towers and stuff like that. And so, okay, are we going to have the same sort of poisoning case again? Why is the king sick? Is it actually the bad guys that are doing something? Mm. Now, the question to you is feeling empathy or not is, do you think the queen regent is part of the reason why he's in that state? Um, it, whether she's conscious of it or not, is she being manipulated or is it just something that happened and she's going into this completely natural? Um, but you know, her being the one that's getting the prophetic vision of of what's going to happen. And also, remember what she says in the episode when she's talking about the Palantir. The Palantirs have pairs, right? This one yeah. doesn't have a, have this one doesn't have a second piece, but yet mm-hmm. they're still touching the thing. Which number one, that's bad because um, yeah. it's you're not going to get just like a busy signal on the other end. Something's going to be <laughs> listening. And so that's where, as soon as she starts touching it, so she's clear, Queen Regent knowing this, she's touched it, and a human touching it, you know, it may not have the best of effects. So where her head's at, knowing or otherwise, is a little bit questionable. So um, it was a really surprise when we got up there. The king's not really in the condition as advertised. Not a huge shock, just kind of maybe the specifics around it are. Yeah. Um, and also, now that you said that, this begs the question is this the palantir that saruman uses in the fellowship of the ring it is not right because remember they have they have a matched pair that they were using is between saruman and uh yeah it's that's a different got it okay because i i saw that and i don't know right like i'm like oh i don't know what's going on and then this one i was like i thought there weren't i she's like there some of she said they're lost according to her like most right. they're all lost except for this one and i was like no they're not I was like, girl, no, they're not. Um, Alex, what did we think um, of this part? Did we think it was any foreboding to what's coming up with Numenor? Did we think that um, uh, the Queen Regent made the right decision um, to trust Galadriel with this information? I mean, at this point, I'm going to be real. Anybody familiar with the token universe is going to realize that this foreboding situation or this, I would say miscommunication between elves, humans, and dwarves is going to be a common thing. So, mm-hmm. at this point, I feel as if the elves have been that like sophisticated society that was supposed to be out there and be beneficial for the land, and then unfortunately, I still think they fell victim of just the casual ability of just being a being, and being that natural being, as supernatural as you are, you're going to be victim to the wants of what yeah. a being with a heart wants. Um, power and respect. So unfortunately in, the, in that situation, given that they had a huge battle out before, there seems to be a caste system in society. So now you have a situation where humans actually have this huge and beautiful land such as Queen herself has at the moment. She's in this position of power in which now her father, that we know at this point, has ultimate respect to the elves and at some point has... Uh, made have foreshadowed some things through you know speakings and bill you mentioned before we don't know if this is a, a, a poison tongue for references before of mm-hmm. tales in the past of lord of the rings or um or previous tales now i do see this frustration between elves and humans a uh, natural thing it's going to happen it, for some odd reason we see in every realm miscommunication let's be real it, it, cities that don't talk to each other or friends that don't talk to each other in distance from miscommunication if you don't talk to each other you're not as close as you used to be and we don't we, we text somebody and it's like you know unless they're a really good friend it's like oh you haven't talked to me forever so i'm putting on that minuscule level and now we're here we are talking about societies that haven't talked to each other in years and frankly are insulted by each other so 
I I feel as if this battle that's happened that's happened in this past, what's going on now, claiming that the scourge of the earth that orcs are gone mystically or not, you have elves coming back saying no. There's something, you know, there's something still mm-hmm. here. You know, we're here, we're here to help. In reality, humans are like, nah, we don't need your help. We, we we did what you said. We did, you know, get out. You go go where you need to go. And I, I just feel as if this has always been building up to this point anyway. So I I, I do feel like it bubbled up to that, um, to this situation right now. Yeah. One thing I got about the Palantir that's always interesting about them is there's a handful of times that they're used throughout the books, right? Um, and uh, fewer yet that was in the movies. But what they see through, what a viewer sees through it is never interpreted correctly. In each mm. case, they think it's one thing, but it's actually something else. Because like Sauron, you know, looking through it, sees, you know, sees Aragorn with sword and everything. So he's like, oh, he's got the ring. He's going to attack Mordor, yada, yada, yada. What's, and, but what was it really is the ring was on its way to Mordor. Aragorn's over away on the other side. Each of the mm. instances is it's never correct, but the viewers will think it's correct. And that will inf- influence them wrongly it's the whole thing about like getting a prophecy and you think it means one thing but it means something else even though both versions are literally true yeah that yeah. that world in general with that kind of dark magic if you notice whether it's the ring reference or you know anything with dark magic in general as you said it's always an alternate version it's always skewed in general so yeah. i can de- that excellent point that i i totally agree with you on that one so her seeing the her even seeing the vision of here's the destruction or why the destruction is is mm-hmm. likely she's going to interpret it entirely wrong True, which we did get sort of a, a rough translation when she said it th- this vision starts with you arriving to Numenor. Right. Like you were and assuming that Galadriel was the reason why Numenor gets right. Thrown or it could in. be just as likely it's what it really is, is in one way that's true. But in the other way, it's the actions that the Queen Regent is gonna begin to take yeah. is what actually causes it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, this was definitely an interesting part and sort of, I, I, it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, Galadriel was a badass. And then I was like, oh, but you did it at the wrong time. Right. Um, let's go, uh, let's travel, let's travel, uh, all the way across the mountains and under them to, um, talk about, uh, Elrond and Durin and this entire exchange of what Durin actually found and was trying to keep a secret from Elrond. I just want to say I love Robert Aramayo who plays um, Elrond. I thought they picked a great person to do it. I mean, come on. He was young Ned Stark. Like, how could you not pick this dude? But I just like what he's doing with Elrond. I think he plays a very young, naive, but frankly, very intelligent um, Elrond. And it just it's sort of giving way to sort of who Elrond basically becomes later on um, in the series uh, or in, in, in The Lord of the Rings. But I do want to definitely talk about this. Um, I know it was definitely, I think it was the first episode that we ever did. Um, it was Rings of Power the, the one. And uh, it ended with the dwarves opening a chest. And it was something shining in it. And I remember after on the stream, uh, me and Eric's partner were like, we were going back and forth whether he thought it was the Arkenstone. I said it was Mithril. I was like, it's too early to be the Arkenstone. It's too early to be that. I was like, it is not early enough to be Mithril because... This is exactly what it is. It's silver and it's shining. I know exactly what it is. So in this episode, we get it confirmed that um, through deception, but then also through Elrond, uh, sort of uh, figuring two and two together, finds the uh, finds the mine and the vein that Doran has been digging. And basically he swears on the mountain to not tell, but basically Doran says that they are digging Mithril. They don't know what its capabilities are yet. They don't know that they could harbor it for 
armor or anything yet. They just know that it is some different type of material and the dwarves are sort of keeping it. Um, and they don't want people to know about it because then they pretty much know that people will want to hoard and mine this material. Um, but I do, I loved this sort of, um, let's just stay here for a minute in this area of Middle Earth. I loved this interaction with Dorin and Dorin's father um, sort of in the end. Uh, and uh, we did see basically when Elrond and Dorin were talking in the mine that there was a cave-in and there was a collapse. Um, I thought one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire series so far is when uh, Dorden's wife um, sings to the mountain to open up and to spare and to make and to make sure that these dwarves live. And it was interesting because, um, you know, Elrond sort of we see this like we see it happening and we see it sort of happening in real life where I kind of like how there's this lore that we sort of heard in Lord of the Rings, right, of like dwarves, like basically like learning how to move and learning how to mine these mountains with and and basically becoming a part of them and the mountains sort of like responds to them in a way right um and we actually get to see this in real life in this series and it was just beautiful and all the miners survive right they get pulled out um but uh king jordan basically says we need to shut down the operation shut down the mine and um jordan gets mad and basically huffs off and um, Elrond is the person to basically tell him, like, you know, I didn't have time with my father. Um, you at least have yours here. And so if there was one thing that I regret, it's the fact that I couldn't tell. I didn't I didn't have that moment or that chance of peace with my father. He was like, you, he ba basically was like, you need to appreciate the fact that you still have your father and that, you know, all that. And then basically him and his father, you know, settle and uh, decide, you know, he's still he's he's going to go with Elrond on this mission but be cautious about it because there's something not right um, in this. And so um, how did we feel about this? I know, Bill, you probably have more perspective than I do, but I kind of feel like um, this is going somewhere. I know in the previews, it's no shock to everybody, but we do see the Balrog in the previews. So I don't know if it's going to make an appearance towards the end of this series of, of these episodes or of this season, but I do know um, it's fast and coming sort of, you know, with this whole mining of Mithril. Um, but let's start with you, Alejandro. What did you think about um, this area and this sort of the mountains uh, and and this sort of interaction with Elrond and Durin? Uh, hyped. Uh, I get memories of Lord of the Rings, just references of the relationships or the uh, the joking, but close yet mythical relationships between elves and dwarves. Um, they are a perfect shining example of that. Um, going to the fact that, you know, <laughs> at this point, um, it's it's interesting to see, you know, being, you know, having uh, Elrond actually, you know, being introduced to the family, uh, Durin's family, and just being there and embracing and just seeing the family who they are, um, them actually embracing Elrond, uh, wanting to know tales of him and uh, if, if the stories are real between him and Durin. And, and to me, I, I find, and I know it's unrelated, but at the same time, I'm a big little, oh, is this truly an Easter egg? Or I might be overthinking, but they're tales of the of the three orgs that, you know, they say one, I was two, oh, it was three, I the one that, you know, took care of them, and this is how we met, and in reality, I'm thinking back to the Hobbit and Frodo and him actually evading the three orgs all the way to the sunlight, and, you know, coming in and them turning into stone, so I know it's totally different related in that sense, but to me, it's still, you know, little memories of, of possible tales and so forth, but the relationship, I think, is actually expressed uh, beautifully, especially in this argument and so forth in situation, you do see them 
or the uh, discussion of, hey, why are you here? Uh, why are you actually here? I mean, yes, it's good to see you, but um, you understand that there's still some uneasiness of uh, the relationship between elves and other races. Um, yeah. And, you know, that between, you know, the distress we see from the queen and the distrust that we see from, you know, Duran at, at the situation, but it's beautifully put. And, you know, I think that the actor, um, Robert, uh, did an excellent job of portraying the fact that, hey, I don't, you know, as a character, I'm not here to go ahead and get one over on you. I don't care what it is, you know, but I want to know what it is because I care about you. You know, this is this is something you can't, you know, you know, hold from each other. Um, and honestly, I, I squealed. I asked Steph, I squealed when I heard the term, you know, of what Mithril Wills. I was like, oh, my God, there's a reference. I, I Frodo was so in the past, you know, what he wears. And it, to me, I was so happy when I heard it in general. But um, without going too much and, you know, so, you know, side off going on, I believe the relationship between them two is fantastic, uh, especially uh, when you actually had uh, Princess Dysa. Uh, like you said, I thought, oh, God, it was a beautiful scene, her singing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you have that communication between not only between, you know, of Elrond and, uh, you know, Prince Durin, but also King Durin. They express, I think it was really beautifully put because in previous, I would say, tales, I'm, I'm not saying that the dwarves were portrayed as ignorant, um, but I do say that they were portrayed as like foolhardy and always, you know, excitement being that person. And you always hear, like you said, you always hear the tales of, of their kingdoms uh, in the mountains and on the rocks. And you see unfortunate previous, you know, uh entities of what it used to be uh unfortunately you see a lot of times of them destroyed because of we mentioned you know Belrog situation and goblins and orcs and and uh orgs in general as well because um but it's good actually to see something there but in this situation the discussion between the king prince and princess and you know actually the you know visiting elves uh, i believe it shows intelligence from the dwarves mm-hmm. saying look all right you established that that's this relationship with the elves it doesn't just seem to be harmful now go find out what the heck they want. And I thought that was cool. To me, that was like, all right, cool. Yeah, the dwarves are mm-hmm. like start, you know, with stature, are strong, are mighty. But at the same time, they're smart, you know. And the fact that this beautiful relationship between elf and, you know, and dwarf has been going back and forth. And now you see the king say this to his son that, all right, I see this man seems to be a man of, you know, or an elf of honor, of a, a person of being an honor. Go ahead and figure out what the heck they want. So I thought it was beautifully portrayed, and I thought that was a nice little uh, slew in and a nice little nod into dwarves as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Bill, what did we think about this little bromance and also this little um, sort of unease between, uh, you know, this unease between dwarves and elves right now? Well, I mean, it's got, you know, it, it's funny because on the one hand, we could say that, um, you know, in all pretty much in all fantasy settings and world settings it's always there's you know a rivalry sometimes more yeah. angry sometimes more friendly rivalry between dwar- uh, dwarves and elves and they all look down on humans um but, but <laughs> looking back on it that starts here that starts with tolkien right kind of setting up the differences and it has a bit to do with where where their areas of domains are yeah. you know nobody really trusts elves by the sheer virtue of their longevity right because mm-hmm. like they're around for so long that they can play a long game without you know breaking a sweat and for them you know a thousand years it's no big deal to them i mean looking at how long you know we got gladriel running around right now and she's effectively reads as a young woman um at this stage yeah. of the game but there's 24 generations between where they're at now and the what happens in the war of the ring for the return yeah. of the king right so and those are long generations too because um 
uh, because you know, good old Aragorn, um, he's got partial elf blood in them, that whole line. So they're like, they don't live 70 years, they live a couple hundred years each, except for the ones that die in battle. So you got a long time, you got three to four thousand years between then, you know, between where we are now and what happens then. And so everything from like, we we're talking earlier about the emotions and the orcs. I mean, to an extent, they're not fully resolved down to the versions that we've seen later. The Urukai haven't bred up yet. The hobbits haven't developed. You know, these many of these races are still in their formative stages. But mm-hmm. when it came to how the races separated, the dwarves went down, and the the elves kept their nose and you know up in the clouds and kind of kept aloof of the rest of them. They're very. It's you can see a lot of parallels between Tolkien's elves and even Vulcans in many ways that they portray themselves you know they're above emotions even though we all know that's full of shit but they play it but in the same way vulcans really manifest the same way and the same things how the 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 lessons that galadriel learned that she's got to not just come in with guns blazing Mm. how many times did did spock have to learn that there's a different way to go about things to look to achieve an end you can't only go at it one way um, and it usually has to do with empathy, which applies in both of these cases. But overall, the storyline also I I learned something new because with when it came to for Mithril, uh, Mithril because I always pronounce it wrong. With Mithril, it's always I thought of it strictly as a silver steel alloy uh, that the dwarves had concocted rather than it being mined. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. So to be completely honest, when they open up that chest and you kind of see the glow out of it, my first thought is, shit, they found the suitcase from Pulp Fiction. Uh, <laughs> You know, that, they should have just left that right there. And, um, Leave but, it. No, I dug it. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's interesting to point out that uh, the the mithril armor that we do see in Lord of the Rings, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was Elven made, um, which they obviously would have to get the mithril from the dwarves, right? right. Um, and just a little like just a little like quirky you know in order for you to make any sort of type of mithril armor you need uh you need that ore to get into bars and then you can sort of make armor out of that so you're not completely wrong they do have to sort of like melt it and then turn it into sort of like a bar which they normally have to do but yeah it's interesting to see that it's actually an ore um that they can actually mine and and get out of there um and uh yeah i i love this part of the i love this part i love going back to Kazakh doom and just sort of seeing the inner workings of how a city that we saw that was gargantuan in Lord of the Rings sort of like be dead. I just like to see it in its prime and how right. it's sort of yeah, operating. Yeah. So it's Very just, cool. it's so beautiful yeah. to see. Um, let's go. Uh, okay. Let's talk about sort of like the, the side stories. So um, Theo, who we've seen is one of the, the uh, kids that um, escaped um, the town that was getting thrashed in the Southlands by the orcs. Um, he found one of, I guess you would want to say, found the sword um, that potentially becomes, you know, a ringwraith sword. Um, and he knows how to activate it, obviously, with blood. Um, but he in this is um, so people that are at the watchtower are they're barely hanging on. They need food. And, you know, the one that's running, which is Theo's sister, is not necessarily doing it in the most. She's doing her best, but not doing it in the most effective way. So basically she, um, Theo is like, I'm going to go get food. And she's like, you can't. And he's like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to go. So he basically takes his friend. They go to the town that they're at um, during the day when their son, because orcs, uh, spoiler alert, orcs cannot take uh, the sun um, because their skin is not used to the sun and they're used to just being underground. Uh, and so they have no, 
no, um, I guess you would say, in scientific terms, ultraviolet protection on their skin, um, like we would if we were to go out in the sun. And so um, we then also see while they're while they're raiding, while they're getting food, um, the sun goes away and all of a sudden the orcs come out um, and they discover Theo, his friend runs away, they discover Theo and they discover that Theo has the sword. And so he gets trapped in this town, he's trapped in a well. Um, long story short, they end up sort of, uh, he ends up trying to escape he ends up getting caught, but then is saved eventually by Arendir, who comes along and basically says, we have to go. Um, and as they're escaping, uh, they run into a sister who is Broren, Broren, I forgot her name, so it's the B. Um, and uh, basically they meet um, and they get reunited uh, at the watchtower where Arendir basically says, um they're coming and they're they're that basically that they're coming and that they're uh they're gonna take over um uh the Southlands and eventually. Um what do we think about this sword that Theo has? I know this is very interesting. Um and the orcs are clearly looking for it. Um is this sort of and Bill you probably I don't know if you know but I I have a feeling this is related to Sauron. I have a feeling that this was a sword or it might be um uh the the previous one that they fought over uh what was his name it starts with the m morgoth yes i have yeah. a feeling it has to do with either morgoth or sauron um anyway so let's start with you bill what are theories on the sword um how did we feel about this part do we see anything more interesting coming along for these people well no i'm sure i'm, I'm sure it's all kind of coming together and bringing the threads somewhere i mean some of these characters may be you know, basically plot movers rather than actual characters in the mm -hmm. whole midst of things. Um, it was funny to see little Timmy down a well uh, because we just had that lassie <laughs> barking out back somewhere. Uh, but as far as, as far as the sword goes, I mean, it's too early, it's too early of course, for it to be anything ring wraith related um, sure. at the moment. However, that doesn't mean that it's not either one of either Sauron's weapons directly or indirectly. Cause don't forget, I mean, you know, we didn't really touch on it earlier, but like, Sauron is a shapeshifter to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, so assuming that they lean into that with the series, it's like, who is he? Who is he playing? It could have been, you know, he's not just the, you know, the 20 foot tall variant that you see later on. It's, uh, you know, he can be human, elf, dwarf, what have you sized all the way along. Hobbit size would be a little strange, but you probably could. Um, and so it may be, you know, uh, Adar, you know, if we're going with that theory that Adar is actually Sauron in disguise, then you've got mm. all the orcs following him and they're off. You're trying to find a sword that he dropped somewhere along the way. Um, so that's possible. However, I expect that the kid's use of said thing, especially when it has to stab into him, will not have great effects on him at some point mm -hmm. in time because that'll start mm -hmm. turning and corrupting him uh, before long. So, again, I want to see, you know, all of these threads are interesting. They haven't yeah. yet gotten to the um, like you think of the series 24, that insufferable teenage daughter of, uh, of what's his name's just because every time you went to the side quest, you just wanted to stab it in the face and, you know, fast forward here. They're all pretty much helping the pieces come together. Yeah. And it's definitely interesting now that you said that when you said uh, when we were just talking about the sword and how he's a, a, a shapeshifter, keep in mind, too, that Sauron also is a necromancer yeah. and Adar looked dead. I don't know to me, but he looked a little deady. He looked like a little zombie elf to me. Right. 
So I don't know, that might be something that, that we might want to keep track of later in later episodes to see if that's something, you know, that he, and uh, by the way, for those of you that don't know, if you are watching this show and you don't know what a necromancer is, shame on you. No, just kidding. Um, but basically Sauron is a necromancer who is basically a dark wizard who can bring dead things back to life, usually um, humans or any sort of type of creature. Um, they have the ability to do that with spells or any type of magic. So, um, yeah, it's just definitely interesting to see those parallels. Alejandro, what did we think about this little sort of like subplot on this uh, in this episode? I'm, I'm, I, I, only thing I disagree with you on this bill is I do think it's actually in time for wraith abilities. Now, what I mean by this, I don't think the ring rings, the wraiths are going to be existing or existing. I just think that the wraiths and Saruman's power have come from an entity in general. And this entity is this, um, you have the ring references, people using the ring references of once, let's say, think of, let's pan back to, you know, think of Frodo real quick with his ring and what he sees in the world that he actually experiences and he actually sees race for who they are and the world around them. We notice the communication that Saruman and so forth uses as well, puts them in that realm as well, or something predictability or that or entity that actually say empowers it or empowers these things. Um, we know that swords become crowns. We know crowns have rings. We know that there's are pieces out there that Saruman technically owns or has relations to or best in the past or in the future. So this could be, uh, in my opinion, uh, maybe nods to it in different entities. I'm not saying that's what they are exactly, but maybe of uh, just hints of the world of uh, introducing what these things are coming from or, where, or what these things uh, notice or respect, uh, so to speak. Um, but also, uh, maybe it's just me, but I really hate Theo. Um, there's no, <laughs> I, I want to like Theo, but I want, uh, Theo to step on a hypothetical Lego. I, I don't, I don't like him at all. Um, I, I do see the references we see, you know, bringing in, uh, you know, of the injury on his arm, therefore with OG Smith doing the same thing, saying this is what it is. Uh, to me that, you know, gave me essences of, of Golem or of, of, uh, you know, Frodo in his bad days or Bilbo Baggins in his bad moments. Uh, you know, every little similar we see that similar look in those eyes like oh boy you're there's something you you are tainted you know your life is tainted for mm -hmm. sure so uh to me i think this whole i say build up or introduction uh, i don't want to make a reference saying that oh my god i feel like i'm watching star wars and i see the reclone of a uh, reclone right. of the death star i'm hoping this is not the case this at this point i'm a little nervous uh, I'm excited. I was just ass stuff. I was jumping up and down like, oh my God, this could be this. And this is all just fanboy theories on my end. There's nothing that is tangible other than the fact that there's references. But I'm so happy that you brought up the fact that dude looked dead when he came back and, and made references to orcs because hypothetically speaking, that's what orcs are. Everybody is dead. They are of death. Um, they are reborn and essentially full of hate for what they once were. So seeing somebody that is, all right, a godly like creature or let's say a uh, not godly like creature let's say a martyr let's say a uh a, um a saint so to speak to the eyes of you know hypothetically these people uh, I, I don't know to me the build-up's great i i think it makes references to things that fans have known from the films and if not the films definitely from the books um you do see references in the build-up to families of possibly being those of rohan being those of uh, those of, of the past you see so many references that you're like Oh my God, I can see where these societies have possibly or might have started. I, I understand that in this world, nothing's concrete yet. Everything is more related to the Sumerian than any other universe because all we know is dark entities, elves, dwarves, and those creatures beyond that. So, I mean, um, 
I don't know. Once again, I don't want to get off tangent, but I, I really do think it does some proper nods to the world. I think it did proper nods to a, a possible darker universe beyond what we see in Middle Earth. Uh, so I do think that's a proper build up or a nod to it. Yeah, um, I, I definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, great. We can skip Theo because I agree with you on the I'm like, there's just I'm not. Uh, there's a I feel like that was like a. <laughs> I feel like this is like the Sandman's Rose is Theo, right? Like there, there's like a plot. Right. It's just like, right. and it's not, it's for me, it's, it's not giving for me. And like the sword could have easily just been put with someone else and it would have just been fine. Yeah, um, like I just, the whole thing is, is just, they're there to get the plot from point A to point B, not because yeah. we're supposed to like care much. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. Cause that Theo, I don't just care. Like, Theo, just jump off the cliff, please. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Get, get caught in the well. It's fine. Um, <laughs> So really quick, I do want to talk about Isildur since Isildur basically becomes an important, obviously, character during the the battle of of the Battle of the Rings. Um, Isildur basically gets ousted from being uh, a sh uh, on the ship along with his three friends or two friends, um, and this leads us to um, the very end where uh, basically the Queen Regent sees off Galadriel um, to the Elven lands um, with an armed escort. And there is a tree that is in Numenor that basically starts, uh, how would you say, crying uh, uh, sort of its leaves. Um, and uh, that tree was given to Numenor by the elves, correct? Um, and basically there was this, and she tells the town that, she tells the island that basically it is said that when the tree, when the tree starts to, when the leaves start to fall from the tree, it is like the elves crying because basically something is go, something is wrong, and that was her sign that she knew that turning away Galadriel's advice and Galadriel's suggestion was the wrong thing to do. So in the very end, she basically announces that she will be helping to take back the Southlands um, with an army. She just needs volunteers, um, and in those volunteers, Isildur basically volunteers to do that. And so we start to see the beginning of what might be a push for the battle of um, sort of, you know, the the what might be, you know, the battle of the rings or the battle of the ring um, and, you know, all of that. And so this was really exciting for me because it was sort of that moment where things were starting to come together in a way where I was like, okay, cool. Like something like Gladriel's going to go off. She's going to probably learn how to become this like bad witch person and like do all that stuff even though she's pretty badass already um and a sealed door is basically gonna start to fulfill that destiny and start to fulfill what we've sort of seen um in the in the latter movies um what did we how did we feel about the ending of this how did we feel about um what's to come do we feel like everything's falling into place or do we feel like this is just the beginning of a really bad part <laughs> of uh the rings of power alejandro let's start with you well, first, I'm I'm caught between I don't know have a who I have a bigger man crush on is Ildador or going into uh, Arondir or either I, I, either uh, to those guys I'm telling them like man both of those are pretty good uh, lead men there. Um, now, in regards <laughs> to that, I, I have a huge huge uh, uh, you know from not only Ildador but his family. I have a huge like um, Aragon vibe into the whole reference of men of who they are in respect to their family and their nod to the elves. Uh, just uh, just in that in that sense. Um, I do think it's a pretty decent character buildup. Um, I do see somebody as a character that does not seem uh, selfish, so to speak, um, and just gets naturally put in a leadership role in a possible unknown shady way or a shady, you know, I'd say um, 
mission, so to speak. Um, I do think the character out there, uh, Max, he reflects that character very well. I, I don't see him as a martyr uh, in a sense. Uh, if he is just a plot mover, it's going to suck to see him being offed. Uh, but we do know as in the token universe, they get you to like a lot of characters. And unfortunately, token doesn't hint who they're going to off. So um, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where uh, I still think it's some decent, uh, beautiful character development, especially uh, of the uh, captain of the whole unit, the sea, the, the unit. Because to me, from my understanding in the token universe, I only know that of those of rangers, of those of men out on land, forest and mountains. Uh, so the sea is very, very unknown to me. So to see this uh, this Navy style, Navy-esque uh, ability and of uh, men not afraid to go out in the sea and to pursue it and be out there and be this kind of strength, the strength and actually willing to flex their muscles towards the elves themselves at the moment. Um, I think this this character, him and his father, it's just, I, I think it's a, a decent introduction. I, I don't, so far, if they continue they, the way they have told the story of them, so far, I'd be happy. I, I, I just please continue this pace. Um, even uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, uh, a little worried because I believe that uh, Ildador's homies that he got fired with him too, the little duo over there. Uh, I, I found him funny. I find him likable. So in a sense, I'm like, oh boy, it's gonna be a trio. I hope this is a good positive tale of the trio um, <laughs> of them too as well. Because once again, um, I, I, I hate falling in love with the character and then. Two episodes later, I don't understand why I'm crying so much. This sucks. <laughs> why? I don't, the last time I did this was Lord of the Rings, chapter 24. And you, just, you don't want to do it again. Um, Lord of the Rings, uh, The Hobbit was my first uh, book that I ever actually emotionally distraught and cried over uh, the battle of the five armies of who you know who was lost among you know the dwarves and the companionship. So I'm getting a little nervous right now because personally I'm liking some of the humans I'm being introduced to, and especially the dwarves. Uh, so uh, at this point, uh, without digressing too much, I, I do think uh, the tale of, uh, in my opinion, this is just my code or the the people of the sea. I think it's uh, been well introduced so far. Yeah, and Bill, um, how did we feel about the ending? Um, are there any insights from you that we should we should look at coming up? No, I mean, I'm, again, kind of like uh, uh, was mentioned, you guys, it's it's coming together nicely. I like the pacing where it's headed. I mean, in the end, it's not hard threads to follow. It's you got Galadriel and her escapade is off trying to figure out what's up with Sauron. Does he actually come back and we got to put him back in the ground again? You've got the elves and the dwarves, unbeknownst, working together to build what's going to be the forge to forge the rings. Um, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people, you know, keep thinking Sauron forged the rings. He didn't, he only forged one ring. Mm -hmm. It the elves mm -hmm. forged all the rest. Um, yep. you know, and then he went and hot linked them all together. And, uh, <laughs> you know, these, you know, these pieces are coming together and you've also got Gandalf needing to come back into play. How much the hobbits are really going to, or the proto hobbits are going to end up being relevant. <laughs> proto hobbits. <laughs> they kind of are. Yeah. It's like, but it's the point is that it lends as to why Gandalf has an affinity for them, and it needs to get Gandalf into position so that he can unleash his respective can of whoop ass at the right time. Um, and so, how far the story is going to get in this first season? Will it actually be to forging of any of the rings? Will it just be when they're getting started? I mean, unless the pacing really changes, I, I probably sense the end of. I probably sense the end of the season being with the fall of Numenor uh, will yeah. kind of probably be where this is at. And then it will carry everything across the middle earth and then we'll pick things up there. Um, Cause that would also be the reshaping of the world when that happens. Um, mm. 
you know, but if he goes further stuff like that, I'm not really sure. Um, uh, Nimloth that you were talking about, the tree of Numenor. Um, mm-hmm. That one is, of course, when when things go sideways with it terribly, uh, it's it it will end up being um, Isildur that actually salvages a fruit from it and takes it and plants the tree over in Middle Earth, and that becomes several generations later. That's the tree. Yeah, the it's the white tree at yes. the uh, end of Return of the King from that whole family, but that's like what thirty eight hundred years later. Um, yeah, so, courtyards. Those courtyards look eerily alike, but I yeah, find no, very it's, interesting. It's the whole thing because yeah. they did it as an yeah. echo of where it came from, and so mm-hmm. it's neat how seeing these things. There's other series that would all be uh, fan service, but here because yeah. Tolkien set up this rich mythology and all of the stuff going through, they appeared in these places. It's not just you know, oh, guess what? And the Mandalorian shows up. You know, it's actually <laughs> people are supposed to be in these places at these times. And it's been written that way since the 20s and the 30s. That's insane. That's just this insane. Yeah, this episode was a lot. It, there was a lot of stuff that was, you know, that could be unpacked. Um, but I'm actually kind of glad they did it. Um, and they did it without the proto the proto hobbits in there. Um, which I'm gonna call them that from now on because that's brilliant. <laughs> or the or or the or the, or the blueprint hobbits, right? Like yeah, it's hobbits. just it's 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 gonna be it's gonna yeah. be great. Um, I'm excited to see episode five and all the rest of them. Uh, I'm I cannot wait to see sort of how this series goes. Um, this is episode four. I think there's nine or eight or nine um in the entire se- uh, season, which I applaud Amazon Prime for doing because usually like there's like six or seven and you're like, oh, okay, that's it. But there's like eight or nine in this. So I'm really, really happy and excited to see that, Um, which means we got a couple more weeks of material to cover. So I'm really happy. Um, But that's all the time we have to talk about. Uh, The Rings of Power, episode four. Um, It was definitely a journey. I felt like we went on a journey. Like we basically covered all of Middle Earth except for um, the fields of the ha- uh, of the uh, uh, Nori and and, and Gandalf um, we <laughs> didn't cover that, but I feel like we did cover a lot, so it was really awesome. Um, but before we leave, um, I would like to know where we can find you both, um, Alejandro. Where can we find you on the socials? Uh, you can find me at I A M C O W I E. I am Cowie on Instagram, uh, where I do uh, daily reels, monologue posts, shenanigans, and themed videos. Or you can find me on TikTok at A-M-C-O-W-I-E, A-M Cowie. Uh, Zach, same shenanigans. Uh, or Crimson Cowie at Twitter, where I talk a whole bunch of trash. Nice. And Bill, where can we find you on the socials? You can find me on as BillRW3 on socials everywhere. Um, And then anywhere else? Like, do you do anything like... Oh, yeah, that or... one thing. Nerdbot.com, <laughs> uh, various other channels. But start with uh, BillRW3 and Nerdbot. We can go from there. Nice. And you can always find me, City Stars 13, on Instagram. Um, I tend to post a lot of stories that are funny, and I tend to ask uh, very good questions on there that uh, get answered sometimes and that don't. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been wonderful talking to you all. Um, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to join our Discord to keep the conversation going. Shout out to my guests, Alejandro and Bill. You are always welcome on my shows. You are always welcome to ask me to be a guest on any of your hosted shows because I love you both. Um, And uh, you can listen to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitch. All of our platforms are at Talk Network. I'd like to shout out our lovely and wonderful and amazing producer, Steph. You're awesome. You do these things. You make them look beautiful and awesome and amazing. So we love you and we definitely appreciate you. 
Oh my god. It's <laughs> like you guys live together. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh I believe this is uh make sure you tune into our next show, which is gonna be basic binges. We're going to be doing andor episodes one and two. Oh my gosh, watch it. It, ooh, it. everything. Oh yeah, you know, Hydro. I mean, oh, I'm just gonna do it. Um, <laughs> but yes, watch it, um, learn it so that way we can have a wonderful and good conversation. Um, until then, I'm your host, Jordan Orozco, and I hope you all have a non-horrific evening.